guys can be seated. This spring, only one hero can save her family and prevent disaster. I don't think so. Whoa. Experience the phenomenon that critics are calling inspiring. Mom, I can't find number 17. Come on, Billy. Dig deep. A lot of fun. And pure genius. Mom, where's my phone? Table. Keys. Mudroom. Dragon Man. Under the couch between the monkey and the flip-flop. How does she do that? Created by God to demonstrate his love with grace, elegance, and poise. Butane torch? Happy Mother's Day, moms. Happy Mother's Day, Alicia. It is so good to see you this morning. Somebody already pointed out what Julie took the day off for Mother's Day. She is with Anna at her church, which is a little offensive because it's only 30 minutes from here. There's nothing like losing your own family to a different church, but that's okay. I'm not bitter. We're glad to have you here. I know there's a lot of you visiting this morning with your mamas, and we're glad you're here, and we will feed you well. It's going to be a great morning. Um, I am, uh, so happy Mother's Day. I never really know what to say on Mother's Day except thanks for putting up with us. We really appreciate that. Let's give our mothers, our, even our mothers that aren't here, our wife mothers, because we're all about 14 men, and uh, let's just give them a hand and thank them. Can we do that? Having celebrating family, though, because we've got Father's Day coming up, there is no greater thing the church can do, though, than honor new families. And so I'm going to turn it over to Alicia, and we're going to do that this morning as part of our Mother's Day celebration. Boy, we've got a lot going on around Carpenter's Way this season. Uh, the renovations, as, as you've noticed, our little piles and some dust possibly around. Uh, Vacation Bible School, we're signing up for that. Next coming Sunday is our senior recognition service. But today, we want to recognize and those that um, have had a baby within this past year, and it's their desire to say to come and stand before you for us as a church and say, pray for us. We want to dedicate our child to the Lord, following the example of Mary and Joseph in the temple as they dedicated baby Jesus. And uh, so that is their desire. We've got six families that we're going to uh, call up, and uh, we've got a Bible for them. And actually, I have your own little uh, Rolodex that you can write your own scriptures that you can pray for your kiddos. So I started mine about 20 years ago, and I just wanted to give you that um, resource for you to pray for your children. As the Lord gives you scripture, just write it on there and pray for your kids through the years. Um, this is a great place to grow roots. Next week, we're going to talk about giving those seniors wings. Now we're, we're growing roots, and this is a great place to grow those roots here at Carpenter's Way in the truth and love of the Lord, love for the Bible, and love for others. 
So with that being said, I do want to call up, like I said, six families. So this will just take a minute. And then after that, we'll have a time of prayer. Pastor Mark will come back up and our elders and pray. But little Sam Birdsong is first with his mom, Micah and Laurelie. You're always going to be Laurelie. <laughs> She's a Carpenter's Way girl, grew up here. So we have this for you. Here y'all go. You're welcome. And you're welcome just to stand right here and then face the congregation. He's a chatty fella. He's so cute. Little Sam. <laughs> and proud mom and dad, Mike and Laura. And then sweet uh, Rosa is dedicating all three of her girls. Her newest addition to the family is little Kate. And then we have Kaylee and Chloe. So y'all come on this way. And I've got a Bible for you big girls, too. <laughs> so, Kaylee, Kaylee, here's your Bible. And Chloe, here's your Bible. And here's one for sister. Okay. Now we have Charlotte, Miss Charlotte Darling. I love her middle name. Charlotte Darling Harris with proud mom and dad. Dennis and Amanda, big brother Noah, and Mason. Here's Miss Charlotte. Yeah, y'all come stand right here. Would you hold that for your sister? Mason's not here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mason's not here yet. You want me to know? <laughs> Next, we have Miss Charlie Claire. Or Cece, as she's affectionately known. Big sister Mia and Pastor Chad and Teresa. Now, these verses that you see along with their picture, I ask them to choose a life verse for their child. So that's what these verses are, just something from their heart that they are, are praying for their child. And so that could be the first verse on your, on your little thing. So that's awesome. Um, all right, Mr. Oliver, Oliver Manley, and proud mom and dad, Kyle and Lauren, and big brother Hudson. And we have one other handsome gentleman, Mr. Dax Sullivan, and proud mom and dad, Chad, <laughs> and Megan Sullivan. Congratulations. Well, that's, that's the proper way to grow a church. That's church growth right there in front of you. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward at this time. I did not give them a heads up, but I'm going to ask our pastoral staff and our elders. And uh, we are going to pray for these families. Um, you know, it is, uh, 
The responsibility of the church is actually to disciple the body. Ephesians 4.12 says we equip each other for the work of the ministry. And uh, we, we kind of lost that focus as we do student ministry, as we do children ministry. Even with adults, it's, it's become all about evangelism, which is obviously a wonderful thing. But the point is to raise each other's kids up into the knowledge and love of the Lord. To come alongside of you. Chad, your mom is here. I just saw her a minute ago. Hi, Chad's mom. Um, anyway, uh, but it's, it's exciting. It is a privilege. It is the most important thing we do to pray for each other. Too many times it's so easy to look at everybody else's kids and go, thank God that's not my kid. I ought to whoop that kid, I'll tell you. That was my southern accent. I've been working on it, and Julie's not here to tell me I shouldn't do that after. But, but, but we've all been there. We've all been there. And, and the truth is, Instead of doing that, we should pray for each other. We, we should offer to pick up little Charlie, at, who, will, who is perfect, by the way. And uh, um, we, should, we, should, we help, we, we, build, we carry each other's burdens, you guys. You know we do that. And this is a privilege. This is what we do. You are not alone in the raising of your kids. You, you've got us. You've got them. We pray for each other. So that's what we want to do now. We want to dedicate their children to the Lord. We want to pray for them. So we're going to start by... Uh, if, if, where, where are my elders? Are they here? Some are out of town doing different things. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, Clay, why don't you come up here, and, and why don't you pray on behalf of the leadership of the church? Uh, and would you all stand, please? And uh, Because I'm going to then uh, ask John Rowan, and he doesn't know this, I'm going to have you come up on behalf of the church and pray for these families as well, that we will come alongside of them. So, uh, Clay, will you pray for them on behalf of the elders? Certainly. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for these gifts, these children. We ask you to, to bless them, uh, keep them healthy and safe. We pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself at an early age and they would walk with you humbly and loving mercy and doing justly all the days of their lives. Father, strengthen the parents. Give them patience and peace, wisdom and knowledge on how to raise these children as you would have them raised. Father, we ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you, if you take the hand of the person next to you, look, I know some of you are visiting. Just look forward. Don't look at them. Just grab their hand. So I'm going to ask John to pray on behalf of the congregation that, that you all will come alongside and, and, and we will bless these families and not curse them. We will build them up and not tear them down. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these children. Thank you for this body of believers. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's wonderful that we all have an opportunity to help these children grow. Uh, not only at this young age, but as they get old enough into uh, uh, informative years, let us all be a shining example of what a good Christian should be like. But uh, let us be proud that uh, children will follow us. It's very, very big, hard to do, Lord, I know that. We have a great responsibility, but I think with the Holy Spirit leading us and leading this church, all will be wonderful. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, but everything I pray, Father, I pray it will bring you glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to congratulate the parents. Your kids did not throw up or scream. This is the scariest moment of parenting, having your kid up front. And then there's Christmas events and programs. And uh, uh, as uh, we move on, I want to I highlight a few things. Would you open your worship guide? Because this really fits what we just did. Um, we, uh, again, 
for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way or visiting, our focus is discipling believers, uh, Ephesians 4.12, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so they grow deep in the knowledge of the Lord and they're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. That is our priority. We have a mission statement, all to maturity and some into leadership. And we identify those and we pray over those. And uh, the, it is often said that, that the student ministry, the children's ministry, that's the church of tomorrow, so we need to invest in them. Let me be clear. They are the church of today. As they accept Christ, they come into the family of God, and it's our job to build them up in the things of the Lord. And that is why we invest so much energy, time, and money, and resources into our children's ministry. In the month of February, we highlighted, uh, we highlighted our mission work. Well, every other month, we highlight discipleship. That's what we do. That's where the, when we give, that's where the money goes, uh, especially in our children and student ministry. And if you'll look in your worship guide, we got tons of stuff coming up for the purpose of relationship building that allows us the privilege to disciple and pour into them. Uh, and, and look in the middle. We've got VBS upcoming. Uh, there's even a, an insert in there. Please put that on your calendar. Your kids need to be involved in that program. Um, and, we, and, and some of the adults, we want you to invest. In that note, uh, I just want to remind you that just attending doesn't make you part of the body life. It's serving, it's investing, it's being involved. So be involved in these things. You'll notice that uh, there's a, um, uh, all, a team kid uh, water night coming up. You need to look at that. Uh, summer camp for preteens. Uh, we have also our student ministry has camps and mission opportunities coming up. Uh, it's a busy. Jeff is just going to be announcing it was going to Wednesday night. But Jeff uh, Bonin, Alicia's husband, who oversees our student and children ministries, Alicia is in charge of our children's ministries. Uh, Mark Dubos and Jeff together, they uh, oversee our student, our junior high and high school ministries. Um, they will be doing late nights again this summer. That's after Wednesday night. They go out and they're, again, relationship building. Uh, so that we can talk about deep spiritual things and difficult things. And uh, Chad not only does our worship, but he, over, he works with Sabrina, and they minister to college-age students and, and older and have Bible studies. Uh, Julie and I have a, a, a group uh, Bible study, a small group on Sunday nights for newly married couples. So our purpose is to invest in each other's lives, to be involved in each other's lives. And, and uh, so uh, we encourage you not to take that lightly, be involved, in, and be praying for these parents of these children. I don't know if you guys are aware, but that's a big job. I just got rid of two. It's even scarier when they're adults. But, uh, but what, what a privilege it is. I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward as we prepare for our offering. Uh, I know we have a lot of visitors today. We are not asking you to give this morning. We just are glad you're here. And uh, we're going to continue on and worship our Lord. And I'm going to open the word in a few moments. And hopefully you will fall in love with Jesus having been here today. Thank you for honoring your mother and joining her. Thank you moms who came to see your son lead worship. That means a lot to us as well. Giving your mom a lot of billing this morning. She's a hero. I love her. All right. So let's pray together and let's continue on uh, with what God called us here together to do. Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you that we can gather here together today and worship you. Father, we thank you for the moms in this room. We pray you bless them. We pray that they'd have a day of, Lord, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's both, uh, it's sweet and it's kind of sad for some as they miss their moms and as there's some that are strained. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, remember that you are the giver of good gifts, even moms that, that disciple and pour into our lives. And I, I, pray, I pray for each mother here. I pray for each grandmother. I pray for those, for our mothers, Father, that you would bless them. They would have a good day, no matter what our relationship is with them. Father, as we turn our focus back now onto you, 
I pray you'd glorify yourself. I pray that you would be the center of our conversation and then we would celebrate your goodness. We love you, Lord. Again, bless these parents and these families and use these children for your glory and their parents as well. In Jesus' name, amen. worship with us this morning. Sometimes I'm strong, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering, but through it all, there's just one thing more precious Amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. And grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go.
who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single spot. like our God who spoke and there was love and saw how it should be and who is like our God who sent his son to die to set the captive free we will exalt you our God the King over all the earth With our worship to you, by the praise that you'll do, we'll be in that our worship reach you, like the sin of perfume, lifting you you below, we'll be Oh 
We're going to dismiss the kids for their, uh, their Bible study this morning. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, I know we have a lot of you today, um, we are in right now in a, in a look at who is Jesus, according to the scriptures. Uh, what, is, what did Jesus say about himself? And boy, this is a significant morning for you to be here. This is a, a, a big part of that, uh, because the truth is that uh, the Jews uh, ex- had certain expectations for the Messiah, and they were wrong. They were absolutely wrong, and that was a big deal. Uh, so let's pray one more time, and let's ask the Lord to inhabit our time. You are not here by accident. You are not watching on the internet by accident. I believe that God has a message for you today that's very specific, has nothing to do with Carpenter's Way. And so for the next uh, six to seven hours, we're just glad you're with us, and it's our hope to encourage you. Jesus, I ask that you would take the words that are about to be spoken and, and nullify them with your truth. I, I pray, Lord, that the words of Mark would, would fade away so that the words of God can endure forever. And for those watching on the internet, for those in this room, Lord Jesus, introduce yourself to us as you are, even your kids, not just to be saved, but, Father, to understand you more and, uh, and where we fall short of, of understanding. So bless us, Father. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to jump right into the text this morning in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says that, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. He was praised. After spending the first months of his post-baptism ministry in the Judean Valley, Jesus returned to his home region of Galilee. And and again, uh, what we're doing and and how we're trying to discover who Jesus is according to the scriptures is we're taking all four of the gospels and we're putting them together and trying to find as best possible a chronological timeline of Jesus' ministry and learning what he had to say for himself within that context. Because context is important. So we're we're building a puzzle. We're putting a puzzle together on who is Jesus. So... um, uh, he had just left the region of Judea, the Judean value, Valley, because they were beginning to rise up against him there. This is only about five or six months or so into his ministry. And he returns to his home region of Galilee under the Holy Spirit's direction, his enlightenment and his empowerment. And I, <clears throat> I know Jesus is God, second person of the Trinity, and we're talking about the third person of the Trinity empowering him. I want to remind you that Philippians chapter 2 says that he emptied himself he emptied himself of his, of his supernatural personal rights in order to serve, to become a servant. And we'll be talking about, so the Holy Spirit led him, directed him. I want to remind you that when he went into the wilderness to be tempted, it says that he went into the wilderness under the Holy Spirit's direction. The Holy Spirit empowered him for ministry. It was the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. It wasn't Jesus who raised himself. But that's important, and we'll be talking in the coming months more about the Holy Spirit's role. Because you, as a child of God, if you're saved this morning, you're in one of two camps. You're either in the left side camp that believes that the Holy Spirit is the worship leader of the church, and that's pretty much it, or you're on the right side of the camp that believes he's the one who convicts of sin only. But there is, the, the truth is, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said when he left that I have to go in order to send somebody who will be greater in your life than me. He will guide you and direct you and enlighten you. And we'll be talking about that in the coming months. When we are done with this series on, on Jesus' life in, in, in 12 to 13 years, um, when, we, when we're done, why are you laughing? 
I'm serious. No, uh, and when we're done with that, we're going to move into Acts because I, I want us to remember where we come from. Why do we do church? How did this whole thing start? And those answers are found in Acts. How did it spread throughout the globe? What is our role in that? So, so uh, I believe that's where we're going to go next. Of course, the Lord can change that, but, but I believe that's where we're going to, and, and in that, there will be a significant conversation about the Holy Spirit and what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Because in one camp, you got filled by the Holy Spirit means getting convicted and then saved, and the other camp you've got people believing that speak, means speaking in tongues and while both of those may be part of what he does that is not the whole of what he does it's not even the best stuff that he does so we'll be talking about that in the coming years but he is under the direction Jesus is under the direction the enlightenment and empowerment of the Holy Spirit um, when in Galilee Jesus healed folks he hung out with folks and he performed amazing miracles and oh how they loved Jesus in his traveling roadshow they loved, they loved Jesus. And why wouldn't them? Why wouldn't they? He's drawing a crowd. People are coming to him to be, to be helped in their life, to be guided. He's saying things that their understanding says is what we want to hear. He's, he's pushing back on, the, uh, on those Jewish leaders that have made peace with the Romans. And he actually, some are actually beginning to say uh, that he might, in fact, be the coming Messiah. And by Messiah, what the Jews mean is the next Moses. They don't expect him to be as good as Moses, but they expect him to be like Moses, who will, do, uh, who will release them from, um, from enslavement to other nations. He'll be their deliverer. Uh, they, <clears throat> they were wondering if he could be the one that they had prayed for. That would, uh, that would return them to the good old days of self-governance and self-sufficiency. Those were the days they had longed for. For the past 600 years, and, and bear with me, I'm setting context because I, I know I'm moving quickly, but our time is short. Uh, for the past 600 years, they had been ruled by other kingdoms from Babylon and Persia, uh, the Assyrians and Greece, and now they're under Roman tyranny and they're frustrated. Jesus looked and sounded a lot like the Messiah that they knew would deliver them from their plight and make Israel great again. I did that on purpose, okay? I just want to make it clear. Does he know what he's saying? They're, they were convinced that God's role in their lives as Jews was to make Israel great again. They were nationalistic. In their brains, they knew sin was a problem, but they thought that that was being dealt with with the sacrificial system, despite the fact that the prophets said it was not, that someone would have to take away their sin. But they were satisfied with their spiritual condition. They were unsatisfied with their nationalistic dreams. And oh, how they loved Jesus. That song was, that song was written back then. Oh, how I love... Remember that? You grew up singing? You didn't know that that was song. Oh, how we love Jesus. In Luke 4, 16 says that when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. So let me give you just a real quick pause there. So he returns to Galilee and we don't know how quickly he went, but it doesn't take him long to go back to Nazareth, his hometown, to his people. And they love him. Oh, now they love Jesus because he's famous and he's making them famous. You recall from Philip's response when they hear, uh, when, when Jesus calls him to follow him, you respond, you remember what he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was the, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to say this right, Ready, uh, ugly redheaded stepdaughter of all towns in Jerusalem in the Hebrew nation. It was, it was uh, I know some of you who are ugly and redheaded just got offended, I apologize for that. <laughs> I didn't mean anything personal, you are beautiful in your own right, but this was really an ugly town. This was a town that got, thank you very much, let's close in prayer. Um, 
This was a town that, had, that, that was not respected even by the Jewish people. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a common saying, and that's where Jesus planted himself. That's where he was born and raised. So they felt good about him. They felt excited about him. He was bringing them fame. In verse 16 again in Luke 4, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up there to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where, where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, and he handed back to the attendant and sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Jesus was a Jew. He grew up as a Jew, and he worshiped as a Jew even as an adult. Is my microphone doing funny things? Okay, because I, I tell, look at me funny. If, well, you always look at me funny, but, but wait, if it starts getting funny because it, it, it clicked out a minute ago, so I wasn't sure. He grew up as a Jew, and I want to make it clear that Jesus Christ did not come to overthrow Judaism. He didn't even come to actually revive Judaism, and he did not come to actually start a new religion. He didn't come to do any of those things. And, and we know that because he naturally went, as it says, as usual, to worship in the synagogue. And now that he returned to his hometown, he went to the synagogue, as usual. Please understand this. Jesus Christ, as a boy, as a man, even as a rabbi, still regularly went to the synagogue to worship. Not always to preach and to minister, but he went to worship. And in fact, there are places, and if we keep going, you're going to find that Jesus actually celebrated what we now know as Hanukkah. He was a Jew. Although he did come to do one thing, and that is to fulfill the promises that he had made to Abraham. For he promised Abraham back in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, that one day the Jewish people, out of the Jewish people, God would bless the people from every nation in the world. Back to the synagogue. A customary synagogue service looked like this. It would begin with an invocation of God's blessings. Second in the service would be a public and unison statement of confession by the whole flock from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. Then there would be a prayer followed by the reading of scriptures with a section of that particular reading from, from, uh, being from the books of the law. That's the Torah, the first, one of the first five books of the Old Testament. And the next thing, there would be a reading from the prophets. And I want to remind you that the prophets' job was to be covenant enforcers. Their job was to call the Jews back into a right covenant relationship with God because they had failed that. So they would do a reading from the prophets by which the congregation would respond. Because not everybody at this time was actually learning as children anymore the Hebrew language, there was somebody that would then requote what was just read in Aramaic so everybody could understand at that point. The reading was then followed by a man from the congregation or a visiting rabbi in this case being invited, now, now follow, because the words stand and sit are really important. He would then stand in front of the congregation and a scroll would be handed to him and it would, be a, it would be already have been opened to a place that was read before, but it tells us that when Jesus was handed, the rabbi, Jesus the teacher, the famous one, the, home, the hometown hero, he's handed the scroll. It says that he then turned the scroll he turned the scroll, and at that point, he began to read out of Isaiah 61. He chose the passage. After the visiting rabbi, 
after the visiting rabbi would, then, would read the scriptures, then he would sit down on what is called the Moses seat. It's up front. It's a little uh, a, a concrete stool, and he would sit down on there. And when he would sit down, it meant that he was about to preach or share his thoughts or share summarize what he had just read or why it was important to him. That is where we get the context of, of preaching today. It, it actually isn't that distant from what we do in churches today, uh, we don't, as a church, do a lot of resuscitation reading or scripture. We have people do it from the worship. But the truth is, it's not that far off. And so this visiting rabbi or a man from the flock would then do the preaching. So, again, to remind you that when Jesus is handed the scroll, it's open to the book of Isaiah, and he chooses Isaiah chapter 61. Do not forget, as I reread this to you, do not forget the prejudices of the people. And by prejudices, I mean what they expect from the Messiah. They're wondering who Jesus is. They know he's the Joseph's son, but they're super excited about his show, his ro traveling road show. And he reads this, again, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released and the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Oh my gosh, that was so exciting. They love this passage. It's a common Jewish passage to be read. And he was actually reading the part of the passage that they had been long to heard said. What a blessing to those who had watched him grow up at Joseph's side. He was everything that they had heard about. Of all the passages that he could have chosen, that passage about setting the captives free met their desires as well as their wants and their dreams. They loved this text. Jesus reminded his friends and family in, in the scripture choice that soon God would send a Messiah to release them from their slavery. The text that Jesus chose said the Lord's favor have come and they were eating this up. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Now you know why he did those things. He didn't go back into his pew. He sat down up front because now it's time to preach. All eyes, it says, of the synagogue looked at him intently. Now you know why. That sentence, this verse that seems to be unimportant, all of a sudden becomes significant in our understanding of what's going on. They're waiting for this man to preach, the homeboy, the guy they love, the guy they believe in. And they lean in. And verse 21 tells us that he began to speak to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. My apologies to my Jehovah's Witness friend. He is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the answer to everybody's spiritual need. He's claiming to be, and the time has come for all of their dreams to come true. And you want to know what they thought of him saying that? of this reading. Verse 22 at the beginning says that everyone spoke well of him and were amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. Here's an interesting part of that. When it says gracious words, we like that. It fits our, it fits our, our, our Christian evangelical thinking. But I want you to know that they weren't throwing gracious words out there just as a nice thing to say. The truth is that they all knew this text. And he left out a significant part of this text. In fact, everything I read just now, and I'm not going to read it again, but in verse 2 of Isaiah 61 says that not only has the time of the Lord's favor come, but with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. As they listened to this rabbi teach, they realized that he left out the vengeance of God, his wrath and his anger, and just like we love the grace of God, they love the grace of God. And they, their response was, he is so filled with grace. Not only is he miraculous, not only do we believe he might be the Messiah, not only is preaching deliverance, but his words are gracious. God's time of judgment upon us is over. Thank God for God. They're happy. 
But it wasn't the only emotion felt that day. There was another one. And the end of Luke 22 tells us what it is. Some in the crowd began to ask each other, how can this be, they ask? Isn't this Joseph's son? They love seeing one of their own make it to this level. They love that he made the town more than Nazareth. They loved that he had not forgotten them. And they're so proud of Mary and her, and her late husband, Joe. But what's he inferring? I mean, what's he saying? Is he calling himself the Messiah? Or, or even if he's not saying that he's the Messiah, how would he know if that time has come? We've been praying for this time for 2,000 years. How can that be? That's just Joseph's boy. I mean, he can do some cool stuff. But how could this be? You're going to learn as we get more into the teachings of Jesus that Jesus never stops when he should. This would have had been followed up by a great lunch and a city party, maybe fireworks. They probably would have had an annual Jesus Day in Nazareth. But Jesus didn't come to make them feel good. And I want to add, he didn't come to fulfill their dreams. He came to fulfill their needs. And so he keeps talking. Verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. You now know where that comes from. You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal thyself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Excuse me. Remember, he's still sitting on the Moses seat. He's having a conversation with the congregation. He's preaching. And he starts by reading this gracious text, and they love it. And then he stands up and says, the time you've been dreaming of is now. The time you've been praying for is upon us. Here, here I am. And they're like, here he is. That's Joe's boy. I had him help build our bathroom out back. That's Joseph's son. That's Mary's son. I mean, it was pretty cool when he turned water into wine. That was in this town. That was only a few months before. They all at least heard about it, heard rumors that he'd done it. But what's he saying? And what gives him the right to say that? And he doubles down going, what you want to see is more circus. You won't accept me as a prophet. If the first statement was shocking, this one was downright offensive. Jesus wasn't holding back punches with his hometown fans. He knew their hearts. He knew that, what, what, that, that they were more into miracles than teachings and truth. He is saying to them, what you see before you is little Yeshua. Miracle worker, Joseph's boy, you don't see God's messenger, his son. And he didn't stop there. You know that. He never stops. Does he stop in your life? When you ask for him to redeem something of your life, when you're freaking out and you say, God, solve this, he never solves it that way. He has a plan. He doesn't stop there. He explains that their view of what God is going to do through this Messiah, through himself, is actually different than what they expect or want that actually their dreams are self-centered and his plans are God-centered. Verse 25, certainly there will be needy widows, uh, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet did Elijah was not sent to any of them. Okay, you with me so far? He just said that Israel was a mess in Elijah's time, but God didn't send him to solve Israel's problem. He actually sent himself and sent him instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the, of the prophet Elisha. 
But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. This is not going as well as they had hoped. This man is actually saying, if these Jews actually believe that Jesus was sent God as a prophet, and this is an important note, okay? Take a breath. I'll get back to my point in a moment. If these Jews actually believe that Yeshua is carrying the message of God, then they are coming to sit in the pews to listen to what he has to say about God. Agreed? But they weren't. And this exposes them. What they came to do is to hear somebody confirm their preconceived prejudices, dreams, and ideas. And that's why this is about to get offensive. Because they didn't come to God, even though they said they did, to learn from him. We just sang a song about him being holy, about we, we, we proclaimed in a song, God, you reign. But the truth is, we don't really all mean that. Maybe most of us don't, because if God's to reign, that means that whether I die of the cancer he chooses not to heal, or I still have to work with the person I don't like working for, or I still have to be married to a person I don't like being married to, no matter what God asks of me, he may not make my dreams come true. He may have bigger plans for me than my dreams. That's what's going on here. They came not to learn from him, but to see if he could make them feel better about themselves. Uh, they, they would not listen to decide if he's, <clears throat> they were listening to decide whether or not Jesus Christ is who they wanted him to be if he was the Messiah. And they would evaluate his messianic calling, not based upon the scriptures, but based upon their feelings. After reading this passage in Isaiah, the crowd was sure he was saying, God was going to now deliver them as a nation back to national greatness. What he actually taught, his message was to remind his listeners about how the great Elijah that they all loved had ignored the Jewish problem because the Jewish problem was a result of their own sin and solved the problems of Gentiles in that time. He reminded them that his follower, who was also the great Elisha, was actually overlooked the crisis of widowing in Hebrew territory and ministered to this Gentile uh, person, healed the leper there. In other words, he brings up God's plan for these two uh, prophets that they revered. He brings up the plan and said, God ignored you, knowing what they were thinking. In other words, Jesus' message to his hometown folks was that God had sent him to bring good news to the poor. He has sent him to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will, be, will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. But as was the case with the great Elijah and Elisha, not merely or even to the Hebrew people, in case you're not catching it, this is the second time that we have Jesus preaching this message. Did you know that? Those of you who have been with me, we have a much broader statement that is similar to this, and you are all familiar with it, whether you're a Christian or not. It's in John 3, 16. I want to remind you that when Nicodemus came at night, he was coming to make peace with Yeshua, who had just turned the tables over at Passover in the temple courts. He had done miracles, and people were beginning to follow him. And Nicodemus, being the Jewish leader of his day, was sent by the other religious leaders of their day to see if Jesus and they could make some level of peace. How can we work together to get the Jewish people where we want them to be? And Jesus, if you remember from our time in John 3, interrupted him and said, Stop, Nicodemus. In order to be part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Remember that? And it was like, whoa, what? Wait, Jesus didn't have time to make peace with the Jewish leaders. He didn't have time to make problems for them. He came to save people, to seek and save that which is lost. And in John 3, Jesus goes on to say, because Nicodemus began 
John 3, by saying, we know that you have been sent by God. And Jesus says, you're right, I've been sent by God, and here's what he sent me to do. Verse 16, for God so loved who? They heard Jews. Jesus said, the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that they heard whoever Jews. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, which they want him to do. They want him to overthrow the Romans. They want him to overthrow all Gentiles. They want to rule. That's what they want. But he's explaining to Nicodemus, the religious leader, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, which was a slap in the face to Nicodemus because that's what he expected, but to actually save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to redeem. And he said it to Nicodemus, and he's saying it to the Jews here. I have come to set the captives free, but not just the Jewish captives. I haven't come to set you free from Roman tyranny. Oh, I haven't come to make Israel great again. I came to build a family. Jesus is not a Jewish Savior. Actually, he's not a Gentile Savior. He was not the new Moses. He was the new Lamb of God. And again, if you go back to what we've already studied, I want to remind you what John the Baptizer said when he saw Jesus. Behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the Jews. Is that what he said? Of the world. You see, the problem with the Hebrew listeners were they listened through a filter. A self-centered, nationalistic filter. And by the way, I am not making a statement on the United States of America this morning. I promise. Take a breath. I'm simply saying that nationalism is in each of our souls, and it was even in the Jewish souls. And when we start marrying nationalism with Christianity, we end up with nationalism. That's what happened here. They were convinced that Messiah would have some spiritual ramifications, but actually what he really came to do was to save them nationally. When Jesus came, though, he tells Nicodemus, and now he's telling the people in his hometown that I didn't come to save the Jewish people. I came to save anyone and everyone who wants to be saved, whether they're Jew or Gentile. This brings me to the first point of my Mother's Day message this morning. Now, be careful. This is You're laughing. Why are you laughing? Um, the first point for you today. Your mama may be great, but she can't save you. Let's close in prayer. Um... Her faith can't even save you. Only Jesus can save you. I mean, really. In this life, your mama can save you. She can make you dinner. She can take you back in. She can even pay your bills. How dare you? Another message, another time. But she can't save you 10 seconds after death. And Jesus will only save you if you turn to him. If you do not, the condemnation and consequences of your sin that is already on you will continue to be on you into eternity. Either Jesus pays for your sin or you do. You don't get to choose. No, let me say that again. Either Jesus pays for your sin or you do. There's no other option. You get to choose. John 14, 6. If you think that I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth, read that. It is what it is. If... If you are visiting or watching online for the first time today, let me be clear that there is plenty of stuff that Jesus teaches that makes his kids unsettled. And I'm even going to go as far as to say there are things that Jesus taught that I don't necessarily like. Having said that, I'm not God. And it really doesn't matter to him 
and it shouldn't matter to me what I like and don't like. He's God, and I will bow the knee. And today in our culture, it feels like we can just decide whether or not he's the God we want. Those people in that synagogue that day thought they were coming to worship God through the messenger that he sent, but they really didn't come to look at God. They came to look at their little boy. And how do I know that? Because when he preached something they didn't like, they didn't even think for a second whether or not he was right or not. You'll see that in a minute. One more thing. My Bible Belt friend. The faith of our culture of your grandparents, of your mama can't save you, nor will the religious activity like church attendance or baptisms. They can't save you. Only Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, who came to save you from the condemnation that is already upon you, can save you from that. He is offering grace, not condemnation. He's offering grace. Run to him this Mother's Day. Run to him. And he will forgive your sin, and you will not be judged for them. It's not a Baptist truth. It's not an even. It's not an uh, assemblies of God truth. It's just God's truth. Run to Him. Jesus came to save you from your sin and its consequences. If you want to be forgiven, saved, and adopted, Jesus is still offering that to you today. Now, to those of us in the Christian family, there's a message here for us, and that message is found in the next part where it gets kind of nuts. Verse 22, going back, bring it up to context. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't that Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me in this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet, a miracle worker, yes, a circus clown, yes. A famous man, yes. But a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Do you see it? You don't care what I have to say about God. You care what I do as it relates to what you want me to what you hear me say. Verse 25, certainly there were many needy widows in, in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine de uh, devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28, when they heard this, the people who loved Jesus, who were pleased with him, that were proud of him, that were proclaiming what a gracious message, now they're furious. The Greek word for furious here means really, really, really mad. 29, this tells us how mad. Jumping up, they mobbed him and they forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. <laughs> Welcome home. That's Mary's son. Let's kill Mary's son. Jekyll and Hyde. They'll do this again, by the way, to Jesus. Be our king. See, I, I struggle with Palm Sunday, and you've heard me talk about it. I mean, we're kind of open here. I grew up in a church that had little palm leaves to the kids and they'd run up and down the aisles, and that's, that's fine. But it's always hailed at this amazing day, and maybe there's amazing things about it, but the, the tragedy of that day is they were doing exactly what these Jews here were doing. Be our king, give us food, overthrow Rome. And Jesus came on a colt, not to be honored, but to serve, not to be served. He didn't come to live as their king, but to die as their servant. And you know who had put him up there is these very people. When he went into the temple and turned over the tables, 
throwing it into disarray and proclaimed himself the Messiah that week, they immediately turn on him to kill him. And that week they'll be able to, but this week not so much. I had forgotten about this story, not the middle of the story, but the end. I had forgotten that his hometown people, the people that were there when he turned water into wine, friends of his mom and his dad, and maybe even the people at the, that, that were hosting the wedding were there. I had forgotten that they had taken him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. I had forgotten how angry they were at him at this early stage of ministry. They loved him, his miracles, his fame, right up until he taught that he would overstep unrepentant Jews to save Gentiles, just as Elijah and Elisha had done. My Christian friend, we must be careful not to recreate a Jesus who fulfills our personal whims, desires, and dreams rather than the man he is. Let me say it again. We must be careful not to recreate a Jesus who fulfills our personal whims, desires, and dreams rather than the God that he is. If you have ever said or heard somebody say to you in a debate over what is sin and what is not, well, I choose to believe in a God who or I choose not to believe in a God who, you have already put yourself on the throne. Because who God is and who is he, he is not has nothing to do with what you want or don't want. Nothing. Well, I don't like that about him. God's not worried about you. He loves you. He sent his son to save you. But he didn't come to have you convince him he needs to change. He came to redeem you at his cost, not yours. He came to fulfill his plan in this life the way he wants to, not the way we wish he would. I want to remind you, my Christian friend, that Jesus rarely does things easily. When the Jews got released from Egypt, he took them the long route to the promised land. The Egyptian slavery ended very difficult, very difficult with 10 plagues and a lot of pain to the Jewish people, and it didn't have to happen. He could have actually just, with a thought, killed all the Egyptians, just given them the land. But he had a different plan. He was introducing himself to them. To be clear, Jesus is who Jesus is, sent by the Father to save anyone and everyone who realizes they are sinners. He came to save and adopt. There will be things about Jesus that are different than we think, different than we expect, and even different than we want, but we still must bow the knee. We must come to Jesus, not in hopes of hearing what we want to hear, but in hopes of hearing the truth, and we should reform our thinking and our life to what is true. What we believe about election and free will and predestination, let me be clear, I have opinions on it, is irrelevant. Because God in heaven is not going, what does Mark think about election? God in heaven isn't thinking, what do you think about election? It's all worked out. It's got a plan. And he's going to fulfill that plan based upon what he's already planned to do all the way since before the world was formed. What we believe about tongues or God's laws or the Ten Commandments or tattoos or interracial marriage or the color of people's skin or even gay marriage doesn't matter to God. All that matters is what he thinks. Well, I know what he thinks. No, you don't. Your and my task is to introduce people to him, not to decide who can and cannot be saved. That's exactly what was going on in the Israeli territories. They had decided that Jesus came to save Jews and a few Gentiles. And Jesus said, like Elijah and Elisha, I came to save Gentiles, and some of you will even be saved. Not that he hated the Jews, but a prophet would never be accepted in his own town. They were fully convinced in their own thinking, just like the Aryan nation. They can quote as much scripture as they want, but they are still spiritually bankrupt. To hate people or resent them based on the color of their skin is satanic. 
It's cultural. That's what the Jews thought. To hate people because of their sexual orientation, look, it's sin, but that's not godly. Jesus came to redeem the sinner, like you and me. I mean, we look good. I mean, you are really, looking at you every Sunday, it reminds me how beautiful these Texas people are. But Jesus came to save the ugly people too. That was funny. Didn't go well. He really did. He really came to save the people you can't stand. And, and I, just, I just want to be clear on something, that Jesus isn't act, asking you to change your prejudice against them. He's asking you to love them anyway. He's going to do that. Uh, in a few weeks, Chad's going to preach, and you're going to meet Matthew, and you all know him because he's, he's a disciple. Do, do you really know who he was? He was so messed up that when he throws his going away party for all of his friends, the disciples won't even enter the room for that party, but stand outside. How do I know that? Because the Jewish religious leaders, and I'm, I'm giving away your thunder, but I give away my own chat all the time, so... But the Jewish religious leaders go to the disciples who are outside because they wouldn't dare be caught dead with those, what is it called? Let's see, I think he calls them reprobate sinners. Why does your master spend time with those wicked sinners? And they don't even have an answer. I don't know. Jesus, knowing what they're asking, screams from the inside because they came to heal the sick. You see, the Jews didn't think they were sick. And Jesus actually came to bring good news to the poor. He came to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor had come. And you would think at this point that their hearts would be softened and that they would think and they would reflect. But when his Jewish hometown crowd heard him explain that he did not come to save their nation but the souls of anyone who wanted to be saved, this is what they did. They intended to push him off a cliff. If you are here this morning or watching online and this angers you, I got a letter from um, a group, a large group of, of veterans a few years ago because I said from the pulpit that we are not at war with the jihadists. If we have the opportunity, we are here to tell them that Jesus loves them and shed his blood for them and they can be saved. They don't have to hope for salvation. They can be confident of it in a relationship with God's son, Jesus Christ. And I got a letter saying that pastors like you Preach a message like that, and we are at war, and if you don't let them, we will defend you as they cut your head off. So be it. They crucified him. My friend, you will not succeed in your attempts of redefining Jesus. Verse 30. Okay, I want you to, I want you to picture this. There's a lot of people here. They got him. They're dragging him. Uh, we don't know the details of the story, but you can be sure that he was probably kicked and bloodied. Making that up. Don't know it, but it, when you take somebody to a cliff to throw them off and you have that kind of passionate anger, they're not treating him delicately. They take him to the edge of the cliff, and it infers in this Greek text that something miraculous takes place. And he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. They get him to the cliff. And somehow, he walks right through the crowd. If you are here this morning or you're watching online and you want a white Aryan Jesus or a black social gospel Jesus or a migrant Jesus or a gay Jesus, you will not win that battle. 
And as much as you try to kill him with your lies, he will not be killed. The truth will still be proclaimed, and he will still be God. The question isn't whether you'll bow. The question is if you'll bow in time to have your soul redeemed. And I actually want to say this to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus Christ is not a middle-class white American who celebrates July 4th with a rifle in one hand and a glass of whiskey in the other. As attractive as that picture may be, he does like country music, I hear, though. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm saying. I, I'm just exposing the elephant in the Christian room, and you know it. Jesus is Jesus, and he didn't come here to save Israel any more than he came here to save America. He came to save sinners. And if you are a sinner, you can be saved this morning. And if you are a saved sinner, put your eyes back on Jesus. Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi can beat themselves into oblivion as long as they want, but it will have no impact on the work of God in the world. It, we will be just fine after we're not. Thank you very much. Put your hope in God. Preach grace. Don't forget the truth. That the only reason we could preach day, grace today and not condemnation is because people are already condemned. And here's the secret. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. We don't have to tell you about it. We can tell you how you can get out of it, though. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is not who we wish he was. He is who he is. And it is incumbent upon us that we study the scriptures and we get together and we discuss this so that we are sure, so that we are sure that we do not create a white or black Jesus. We just worship Jesus. Wait till we get to heaven and find out he's Asian. We're going to have to redo the felt pictures of him, aren't we? <laughs> we find out that he's some other thing, a picture. Because he didn't come here to be the man of your dreams. He came here to be your savior, your lamb, your redeemer, the temple of God, the one who redeems people no matter what their heritage or what their culture or their socioeconomic status, whether they're slave or free, rich or poor, gay or straight. Jesus Christ came to save you. Will you let him? Will you let him? If you don't get all this, ask your mama. I'd love to answer after. I'll pretend to be your mama. I've got her makeup all over my jacket this morning. I hugged a lot of moms. I have to have my jacket cleaned again. And having spoken like a pastor and dressed like a pastor, I just want to make it clear to you, I'm just like you. I have hopes and dreams and whims of who Jesus was. He's just the Savior, the one I bow to. And I have no idea what's going to happen in this country, and I have no idea what's going to happen in my retirement, and I don't have any idea if I'm healthy or not. Um, I'm not asking. I do know who does. I'm going to trust him. Will you join me? Will you join me in trusting him? Whether you like his stuff or not, I don't think Job was pretty happy about the sons dying and stuff. My friend that I'll never see until next Mother's Day. Run to Jesus, please. Those of you I'll see next week, let's make it about him, not the Baptist faith and message. Let's relook. Let's obsess. Let's question. Let's push. Let's study. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's keep our focus on Jesus, and let's trust him together. Let's carry each other's burdens. Let's raise each other's children. Let's look forward to the return of our Lord and make him our hope.
Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for putting up with us. And thank you there's still time for us to bow the knee. Whether we're saved or not, there's still time today. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Father, for, for anyone who doesn't know you that's listening today. And for those of us that do, Father God, help us bow the knee to who you are, not who we wish you were. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Let the King of